Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Please Watch This, film podcast where two film-loving mates with gaps in their viewing history recommend films to another so they can once and for all answer the question, who has better taste? With me as always is my co-host Sam Blakely. Sam, who has better taste? Uh, welcome to my brother, the authority on these things. I have better taste. Hi Hugh. Yeah, I mean he's... Hi mate. <laughs> <laughs> you <Yeah>, alright? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do you think? You're one of those super tasters who can taste like really interesting foods that the rest. All of I'm saying can't. is uh, yes. Yeah. Fair enough. So, <laughs> so yeah, caught you off guard with that one. Didn't I? <laughs> I'm always ready to pick myself up. Um, have you had a good week, Hugh? Yeah, it's been all right. Really said. good. Yeah, really, really good. I uh, went to see the Joker. Oh, sorry, not not the Joker. Joker. No definitive article. Definite article. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know. It's definitively not got a definite it is. Like Eels, the band, um, and many other bands. Yes. So Eels, you've not seen it yet, have them. you? No, so... We're, we're not here to talk, talk about, about Joker. <laughs> but we'll put it in the show description yeah. so that we get, I don't know, four more listeners. Because uh, it's all anybody can yeah. talk about in the film circle. Yeah, I mean, I've been avoiding reviews of it like the plague. I think I've read one review that wasn't very favourable. So, let me just get this. Um, I just want to give you a bit it. of um, knowledge, really, from an epidemiology point of view. If you're trying to avoid the plague, don't expose yourself to it only once. Really try to cut out all exposure to the plague. Well, I'm glad that that's how filmmaking process works and film watching process works, that you, you can avoid. Um, you can read just one or two and still not totally uh, totally understand the thing or it really depends thing, I mean so I've, I mentioned in a, in a previous episode that I've been reading Roger Ebert's uh, most negative reviews and the films that he does not consider to be worthwhile he spoils them all the way to the end <laughs> he'll give like the final <laughs> shot and he'll just say you know what this is I'm not spoiling this for you this is a piece of turd <laughs> which I quite like just judging how good a film is based on how much it's spoiled in the review <laughs> yeah, that's that always uh, is a thing. Um, speaking of spoilers, that was, uh, <laughs> well, is it is. <laughs> I don't know what to say to it. Yeah, Roger. You know, I have noticed that trope with other uh, film critics that they will spoil it. Yeah, to a point. there's a very much a dis- dis- or if it's a really bad it, film, yeah. they'll be like, yeah, they dismiss it because it's rubbish. Um, so, speaking of spoilers. Uh, a warning now, if you do want to watch the film Arrival and you're listening to this with somebody who hasn't seen it, um, there is going to be spoilers of a major variety in this podcast. So if you don't want to listen to the podcast, switch off now. If you do, um, then welcome. Yeah, it, it really <laughs> does our again. stats well if you listen quite far into the episode. So that's great. Yeah, all the way to the end is the I best would say the, how we peak, we peak right at the very end. So um, look out for that. Oh man, the end's like, oh, it's so up there. This episode's going to be is, no exception. It, I mean, it might be. It's hard to tell because time is not linear. Not my will. Um, well, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. So what... um, we do this all the time. Each week, one of us recommends a film to the other that they hadn't seen. Hugh's hosting this one. He has seen Arrival. I hadn't seen Arrival. I'm going to start, Hugh, by asking you when you first saw it, what it means to you. What does this film mean to you? 
So, um, so yeah, this film is uh, by uh, French-Canadian director Denis Villeneuve, um, made in 2016, starring Amy Adams, uh, Jeremy Renner, Forrest Whitaker, Michael Stolberg, and Zima. I think that's how you pronounce that. My Chinese isn't very good, uh, unlike Amy Adams' <laughs> character in this film. So. So I'll just give a brief outline of the plot, first of all. So Arrival is essentially about 12 alien ships coming to Earth, and Amy Adams is a linguist who is sent in to the alien ship to basically decipher the aliens' language, make contact with them, and understand why they're there, essentially, what what is their purpose on Earth. Um, And the film does it from her point of view, and as the film goes on, she learns certain things about that language that have an interplay and play into the major themes of this film, which, you know, are time, grief, loss, parenthood, um, you know, miscommunication, correct communication. Um, These are all major themes in this film. Um, so yeah, those themes resonate with me in this film. Um, what I want to do is unusually, I don't want to give away the spoiler of this film until we get into why what Sam thinks of the film because I think that's going to be the major discussion point around this film this evening. Um, is that correct? It's definitely one of them. Right. Okay. So yeah, so I think that's the that was going to be my starting off point for this. So we'll discuss that in in Sam's. Uh, review of the film um so it makes this bit a bit more difficult uh to give an outline but um i'll say what i think i like about it i like the themes of the film i think it's always great when a sci-fi film deals with the themes that are pertinent to a lot of people or to everyone you know we all live in time <laughs> you know we all you know we're all bound by it um i like the fact that it plays with the narrative structure of the film um which will be more revealed again in spoilers. Um, I like that it's mostly done from the point of view of the main character. Um, So there's a lot of bits. So there's one bit in this film in particular where you see um, the two scientists essentially go into the ship with the military um, character, Forrest Whitaker, who he plays. And um, they're not... In these films, usually it's the first contact you see between humans and aliens, where with this... It's not the first contact you see. It's it's maybe the second or third time somebody's been up there. There's a, you know Forrest Whitaker's character says something along the lines of, I think one of them apologises for throwing up after they've been to visit the aliens and says um, and he's like oh well you did better than the last guy and it's like oh so it subverts your expectations of kind of what a sci-fi film about contact with aliens usually is. You know we always usually see it from the point of view of the first personal people to meet them but in this case you're seeing it directly from the main character's point of view and her interaction with the alien so i like i quite like that it you know i've seen it described as like an anti uh, independence day you know it, it takes a lot of its um, cues from uh, close encounters of the fifth kind um from you know the film contact which famously uh, I think the book was written by Carl Sagan, the American physicist and science communicator. So, you know, there's a lot of cues, uh, you know, cinema cues about those films in this, which I think is really brilliant. Um, I just think it's a really well-made film. The colour palette, you know, I've got a few criticisms that we might go into, but I think it's really, it's a smart intellectual film that puts its intelligence on the table and asks you, a bit like the film Inception does, to keep up with it. And if you keep up, your reward is for keeping up with it. And, you know, it it connects you to what essentially 
is a dilemma, an ethical dilemma at the heart of the film's narrative, which I really, really enjoyed. And that's kind of why I'm recommending this film to you, because I think it's not just your run-of-the-mill, oh my god, there's aliens, we must make contact with them, and we must find out what it's all about. It's like, no, here's a story about amazing things happening to interesting people and how they deal with it through their perspective. Excellent. And uh, is there a, a particular aspect of the film that you think I would that would resonate with me particularly? So, yeah, I think you're a parent, and I think there's a point in this film. So the film set out, the first opening scenes is Amy Adams and her daughter. And you see a few shots of the daughter growing up, and then you find out the daughter's got cancer, and then the daughter basically dies of cancer at about 13, 14 years old. And then the next scene is Amy Adams on her own in her house, being really melancholic, you know, um, detached, you know, while all these kind of strange things are happening around her. So, the, so you, she's basically depressed is what it represents. You know, she's going through grief and understands why she's not interested in kind of things that are happening. But she's going through the process of, um, you know, getting back to her life essentially is what the audience is kind of shown at that point. So you kind of sat watching that, and yeah, I think obviously you being a parent, obviously it's not something you like to think about, but I think one of the responsibilities you think about when you're a parent is, my gosh, what happens if my child gets sick and ill and dies? It's not a nice thought, but it's something that I think everyone has to deal with. So not that I'm like saying you're like really morbid and like, I want a film that talks about child mortality a bit like... Um, <laughs> I seem to remember saying I absolutely don't want a film that deals with that. Yes. <laughs> in our episode I've just... <laughs> yeah, no, no, you mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> I just remembered that actually. Um, what was that film called again? Was it Don't Look Don't Back Look Now? Back? Don't Look Now, isn't it? Yeah. Still haven't watched it. I must get round to it. Sorry, Ben. I know you listened. Uh, I will. Um, <laughs> I'll get you on for it. Yeah, I'll watch it. Me and you will do the episode together. We'll leave this. Yeah, that's right. this out in the cold. That's the the first of many steps towards me being pushed out of the pod. But uh, whatever's best for you got me for the show. I'll give you my personal email, Ben. It's fine. Don't worry about. It. I've got your number anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yes, whilst. You did say that when we were watching that, which I kind of forgot, admittedly. <laughs> I also think the I think it's more that also there's that that human drama in the film is really good. It's not just a film because there is good films where people make contact or they're dealing with like hefty subjects, um, but the and the characters are a bit generic and they're not. You don't kind of feel that connection to them that you get given straight away at the beginning of this film with the main protagonist. Um, so I think that's really interesting that they then go through that process of why she is like what what she is and who she is. And yeah, I quite like that. And I think you would quite like that because it's it's more human than a lot of these films you get. Um, yeah, is there any particular reasons why you think I might not like it? Um, well I also well actually uh, the other point I want to make is I think it kind of appeals to your uh, cerebral nature I think the linguistic side of the, this film might interest you it might pique your interest as well I think you would have been like oh yeah that's fascinating that they've gone through the perspective of how to teach an, a language and learn a language through first contact and you know these practical steps that we would have to take 
Um, in terms of things you might not like, well, obviously, you might not be too happy with the notion of uh, child mortality. Uh, that's obviously might turn you off a bit, but I don't. But I don't know if that would turn you off inherently. I think it's a good enough film, despite that subject, because it's so well grounded um, that you would like it. You might. It, I mean, in terms of its overall narrative. So there's like essentially there's two plots. There's the plot of the character learning the language and it coming to fruition and what happens with it. And then there's also the political tensions around what these aliens want because they're quite opaque and not very communicative to the point where, you know, after a month people are getting antsy around the world and China in this is kind of like, you know, if this film was made 30 years ago, it would be Russia, <laughs> you know, be the Soviet <laughs> Union uh, being provocative and issuing ultimatums, but in this it's China and, you know, how people kind of behave when they have a threat towards them and you might have found that a bit stale or a bit formulaic maybe you didn't enjoy that aspect of the story um yeah i don't know where you're going to fall with this one i hope there's enough character from the main character and her process that the character goes through that you enjoy this film despite maybe the narrative of the actual aliens arriving on earth and what they want does meander a tiny bit and it's you know the political tensions in it are a bit. They're not. They're not bad, but they're not the focus of the film. They're just an aspect of the film. But yeah, I've no idea what you think of the film. To be honest, <laughs> I don't really like it. Should we find out? Yes. Yeah, so coming up after the break, we're going to find out if Sam uh, liked the film Arrival. Welcome back to Please Watch This. So now we're going to find out if Sam liked uh, Arrival. So Sam. Here's my thoughts on Arrival. These are the things I really liked about it. It is a really beautiful film, and that's the most obvious thing to say about it, so it's quite trite for me to say that. What, uh, what I really liked was the there's a weird grace when there's a large object on the screen. Have you ever played the game Shadow of the Colossus? I haven't, no. It's a beautiful game, and I, I tracked it down a couple of years ago because I remember playing it on the PS2, I think, about 10 years ago. And I tracked it down, and it was about £30 secondhand. It's this beautiful game. There's almost no dialogue. There's, the plot is, is really intriguing. It's just a, a, a man, or a sort of young man, old, like, boy, and he's carrying a girl who's stricken. Could be his girlfriend, could be his sister, could be anybody. And all he really has... He basically puts it down on this altar thing, and essentially you have to dis you have to kill sixteen large creatures, and all you've got is your horse, your sword, and your bow and arrow. Aren't you like scaling and, a colossus, like a giant, yeah. giant statue god entity? Thing. That's right. They all they all have weak areas on their body, and usually it's very high yeah. up. And they'll walk around and they'll try to swing you off, and it's all about maintaining your grip. And there's just this unbelievable grace of seeing something basically on the horizon that is a hundred feet tall. And it it's, looks like it's walking very slowly, but it's just this beautiful grace, a really beautiful game. I'd recommend all our listeners to uh, 
to scope it out or to buy my copy off me for four pounds, <laughs> uh, absolutely <laughs> postage and packaging included. Um, so there is that grace to it. The large shells they have that grace, and there's a sort of awe that's attributed. What would you describe you know, them as? Because a lot of the reviews and things I've been reading, that you know, people writing down what they describe it, I've seen it described as mostly as like an egg with half of its side cut off or or as a pebble is the you know the two that do they, yeah pebble i've seen as well do they refer to them as shells in the i film? don't think they actually ref- they just refer it to like as the he- as the ship of the heptapods they don't really give them proper names i think they call them stanley kubrick as what i read in one review but i don't remember it ever calling it that so i think that might be just something somebody envisaged when they were writing their review um which I I think I think I I think I'll go with shells the 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 pods the the ships it doesn't really matter too much but there is a beauty to them and the the way they're they're treated on screen is is with that awe it's not as a it's not so much with like you mentioned you mentioned Independence Day it's not that they're, they're necessarily this malevolent uh, thing it is it is a well worn territory to have things appear and they don't do anything so I think. Um, District Nine does that. Yeah. I think there's a uh, Doritos advert that does. Obviously, that, that famous piece of media. <laughs> I think you might say the monoliths yeah. in 2001. Um, they definitely are very mysterious in their shape, and there's a lot of uh, allusions to 2001 in this film. I would, I would say as well. There's also Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There's hundreds of those around around Earth, and it's not so much. Yes, there they're is. They're not shooting things. Yeah, but there's it's this huge thing over the earth, and really we we get we're scared and we um, we act like that. One thing, another thing that struck me was almost all of the film seems like it was recorded at like four a.m. during the summer, in that sort of uh, what would you call it, dusk? Uh, well, four a.m. Dusk or dawn, dawn, isn't it? That kind of the the magic hour. Um, I know because I've just done research on this. It was they filmed it in January twenty fifteen, I think. So right. it was in winter time when they filmed it. Where was it filmed? Was it in, a, in America? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a beauty to it. Actually, no, it, it could sort be. Sort of was nostalgic. Could, sorry, no, actually, I think it was in Canada. I think it was actually filmed right, in yeah, Canada. Right, that makes sense, yeah. It's set in America. It's just, it's sort of nostalgic of um, even like late nights after maybe going to a club or something. Um, there was one we went to in Manchester, it closed at 5 a.m. You'd come out, and that's what the city would look like. Yeah. You know, it would have that that eerie, uh, otherworldly quality where the world hasn't quite woken up yet, and you're sort of out there on your own. And I, I had a weird nostalgia about that. It was it's a very slow film, but it's intriguing. It holds plenty back, and so when it is being slow in terms of not much happening, a lot of shots of things and just the camera holding on people's faces somebody asking a question and they're pausing for a long time but there is such a level of intrigue that you do follow along with it you know it doesn't it's not slow for the sake of being slow no no it's not it's it definitely takes its time but the narrative runs through at quite a quick pace actually i noticed when i when i watched it again for the uh, podcast i was like oh actually the you get the first couple of days which you kind of see you know quite quick you know it's like maybe the first hour of the films like the 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 ships arriving obviously and the aliens arriving and then the last like 40 minutes 
you go through maybe like a month quite quickly. I think it's just shy of a month. Yeah, they've got to they've got to speed that process along whilst they're um, whilst they're trying to figure out the the process. And it really does have to be a long process because it's it's very bit by bit. And it's interesting what you said about you know what I would like about the language aspect and you know being interested in psychology. I've looked a little bit at language and language acquisition. It's uh, I, oh, in fact, we, I found out not long ago that you haven't read 1984. There's a really excellent concept in there where the party creates a new language called Newspeak, where they remove words like freedom and justice because they want people to forget that they exist as concepts and there's a as to give Douglas Adams a second mention already this episode you know Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy he wrote an excellent couple of books uh, the the um, uh, the Meaning of Lif <laughs> are you familiar with these books? No I'm not I've not read I've only read Hitchhiker's Guide and a bit of um, the second ones at the cafe at the end of the universe yeah, the, the restaurant. Yeah, they, um, the, uh, the restaurant. Sorry. He wrote them with John Lloyd, who produced a lot of great things like Blackadder and uh, QI. And it's really a dictionary of words that don't exist but should exist. Right, and I've forgotten okay. all the words actually. This it's just okay. a really fun thing to look up. But some of the things like um, the phenomenon whereby you see somebody you know down a corridor and you acknowledge them too early. So you have to start making silly faces and and so on <laughs> in the very uncomfortable twenty paces towards them. Is there an addendum was, to uh, that when you think you recognise somebody and start to wave <laughs> and then realise that it's not them? So you then do an extra action to to throw off the fact that you were waving at a stranger. Yeah, and, and we've all done that. And, you know, especially if I if I'm if I'm not wearing my glasses, there was one time I was waiting at a bus stop and somebody across the road said Sam, Sam, and they were waving at me, um, and I waved back very joyfully, and they came over and I realised they were saying Mum, and their their mum was stood behind them. Uh, luckily, my bus arrived at the time, so that was that was one. another one. Is um, the process of trying to recreate the noise that the chair is made when you sat in it to show that it wasn't you. Um, making that noise to so sit down <laughs> in the chair everyone thinks it's an embarrassing sound you try to recreate that sound it's it's really good uh, it's really good work and so it's these are common I mean this is what observational comedy is observational comedy is saying oh don't uh, do you f- feel this as well if we just had a word for it everyone would go yeah it's uh, schadenfreude uh, you know it's almost like we, we've agreed upon an experience yeah. when we give a when we give a name to it yeah it's giving conceptual meaning to an everyday occurrence or an occurrence of something that can all be agreed upon by a language group absolutely and i think it's another probably one of the reasons why our memories of our very early life are so limited i think it must go hand in hand with language acquisition because you don't have the concepts yeah it's not there available so i really liked that i was genuinely surprised by the oh in fact before we get to the the, the ending another thing that um, I liked was that it was a realistically depressing depiction of how the world would probably react in that really just such a like worrying about borders country borders and who knows what and who's sharing what and I just think as a species we need to grow up out of this kind of thinking you know globalization's happened we need to get over that and if there is a thing that unites us as an earth if there's a threat to the earth the idea that China wouldn't share its secrets with the US and the US wouldn't share its secrets with Russia is so depressingly realistic um, 
then it made my blood boil but that's kind of not a that's not a bad thing about the film that's a really good thing about the film is that it manages to capture that and i think the 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 obvious comparison is with the martian where you know one of the major steps is china just volunteering yeah. and offering to give support to the us to Spons help our mission you know not seen the martian Oh, uh, it's not really <laughs> that, a twist. It is, it, is, it is actually. It is a bit of a spoiler because <laughs> there's a whole large portion of the film that's dedicated to um, them. I'm not going to spoil it any further. <laughs> <laughs> so forget the Chinese anything. are involved in the Martian. That's all, as, much, as much as you that's, need to know. Yeah, I've spoiled it for you. I think yeah. another thing I liked about this film um, that will get us into that spoiler territory for this for this film is yeah. I believed that. I believe the romance, not necessarily so much Amy Adams towards Jeremy Renner's character, but I totally believe that Jeremy Renner's character was in love with Amy Adams' character because he's sort of in awe of her and protective of her. He has this smile that's only for her. Um, and I, I just believe that. It wasn't just like, he's the attractive male lead, she's the attractive female lead, therefore at the end they have to get together. It felt, I think, earned. Yeah, I, I actually didn't think it felt in, in that film, actually. Mm. Yeah, I think they the real relationship of this film is between her and her daughter, and they needed somebody to to bridge that, that gap. Yeah, like I said, I didn't truly believe it from Amy Adams' point of view, but I, I believe that he loved her. Yeah, I think... It, it um, didn't feel tacked on. Oh, I, I did a little bit, but it was necessary. I would have liked to have seen maybe a couple more scenes of those two falling in love, but I think that might have taken away from the the daughter stuff as well, so it's it's a yeah, fine line to tread. Yeah, it really is, and I think it's it's probably a good idea to get into the um, the, the the ending, so I think we'll, we'll, we'll lay out another spoiler alert for anybody listening. I, I Before I watched this film, I, I had a vague inkling that I think there was a twist but I wasn't sure if I was getting it mixed up with Signs which is a ridiculous film um, uh, <laughs> and actually I was I was totally bowled over by, by the surprise. Do you want to explain what that Well was? I was going to ask can you explain what the twist was because okay. I've seen the film already and I want to see what So I'm going to refer to a bit, of, um, a bit of film theory here it's the cool shove or cooler shove Cooler shove yeah. effect, where by showing one scene and then another, another scene, it's implying that one follows the other, and it really is. Um, we see, as you said, it, almost like the film Up. Really, the first scene is her uh, daughter growing up and then and then dying, and then we see her go to go to work, and she seems really sad and just completely be, beaten. Um, so we assume that happened in that direction, and she refers to it. I always I always thought this was the beginning of your story so yeah. it turns out all the events of the film happen before she's had the daughter she has the daughter with Jeremy Renner's char- character and she sees that ahead of time I think yeah so essentially what happens in the film is the reason the aliens are there is because um, the aliens are called heptapods and we call them heptapods um, so the heptapods are on earth because their language allows them to see to um, make concepts for, they can see the future um, or they can they can in their brains they can make conceptual visualizations of the future so they can travel through the fourth dimension by the ability to to read their language and to write it and because it's logarithmic no not logarithmic 
Chorus Mixer one the the icons or is that um because it's not because the sentences that they write aren't for, have a start and a middle it's like circular um basically that language doesn't fit into time it's kind yeah. of they don't in see time language. in a linear format they yeah they see all of time at once presumably so they can they can tell you the end of their sentence while telling you the start of their sentence in a circular manner yeah and so with this they can see their own futures so they're aware of what's happening in the future so as the Amy Adams' character learns the language, and she learns the future, and she learns that her daughter is going to be with Jeremy Renner's character, and that they and she's going to die of cancer. And so the ethical mm. dilemma, as the at the heart of this film is, knowing that her daughter's going to die, should she get with Jeremy Renner and have a daughter regardless? Now that she can, has all the pain and anguish of losing her daughter. And one of the things that sci-fi does so well is... So brilliant that, isn't it? Just, can, very, we just, can we just enjoy this premise for a second? <laughs> it is fantastically clever because it it's that great thing that I love about sci-fi is it does something that probably isn't true. It's probably never, you know, we, you know, by physics, we probably will never be able to see or make cognitive realisation of... Um, you know, of the fourth dimension, uh, we can only we can only look back. At, we can only look in one direction of it. We can only look back, and we only travel forward through it. That's our you know dimensional reality. But just to say that, oh, by this process, you can see your own future, and then the interplay in the film of how that works, where um, she imagines she gets she's it's not really well explained this bit but it works so she imagines that she has a she can remember having a conversation in the present that she's going to have in the future with general Zhang. so she can change his mind by calling him on his phone but only on a number that she is remembering in the present See, this is the problem. Our language literally can't can't describe it because we don't. Because it doesn't. There's also happen. this Euroboros uh, kind of thing whereby she only knew that number because he showed her the number when he was saying why he called it off because she showed him the number. Yeah, that's what sci-fi does so well. Is it's basically a really good format, really good um, platform for thought experiments and what ifs and and um, paradoxes. And I think that is that is something that's not really dealt with in this film in terms of how can that happen without that happening it's more just what if you could see all time and it wasn't linear yeah. um, and like you say because it doesn't really deal with um how would you react with causality to or yeah it doesn't it's not suggest it's, it's kind of not even suggesting that she could make the decision not to have a child it's not suggesting that there is a different outcome i think well this is it it's how do you read into the film how do you read into the the concept of of the film um yeah i suppose the only time where maybe it doesn't work on its own by its own rules is the fact i mean i've come up with a few questions after the fact you know when i've watched through it again and one of them was well why did the heptapod why did it let it allow itself to be one of them allow itself to be blown up knowing because it would have known that was going to happen so would it have not tried to take actions towards that stopping rather than trying to fulfill its mission which is to get humanity's help in 3,000 years. It's a fun concept on its own, and I think if this film had just been about 
playing with time. You know, there's lots of good, you know, time films, um, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's Back to the Future. Um, Obviously, Premonition. Stella. Yeah. So there's lots of good time films out there. You know, um, what's the one with... Um, Oh, what's the one with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in? Oh, Donnie Darko's got time travel in it. There's, um, oh, not Source Code. Uh, in Time? Done. Yeah, Source Code, you're right. Yeah, it's source code. code. In Time is Justin yeah. Timberlake, isn't it? Yeah, that's another one. That's not, Well, that's not about time travel. That's about immortality. Mm-hmm. And About Time, which you'll watch in the future. Yeah. Um, but I would... and. But I wouldn't recommend all of those films to you because it's like, nah, it's a sci-fi premise. You know, a lot of the times they, a lot of these films hang their hat on those premise. I think what made me want to recommend this to you is just the. the, the it's a great, it's a great, um, you know, reveal at the end, and it's a great, you know, it's a very human story. I think in the end. Yeah, and I think it is, it is a human story, and it's not the only theme. The theme is also kind of linguistics and how language works, grief, and all those things. Yeah. And the timey wimey stuff actually is a nice slow burn of a th- of an extra theme one of the things I so if I, I'm just going to get into a couple of the things I didn't really like about it um, and it is, the, it is the grief aspect just on a kind of originality level that it does feel it feels cheap now to to kill off a character very early on sort of death of a child death of a spouse there is a there is an easiness to that, and I don't know if I don't know if that's necessarily a criticism of the film or more just being a bit jaded about clear, easy, um, you know, story drivers. And I think it's an easy way to get on board with the protagonist um, to make them go through grief like that. So it did worry me that there was yeah. more style than substance at first, and it's only really upon well, firstly the reveal at the end. And then really reflecting on the film as a whole, kind of digesting it, that I did realise it is it does have that substance to justify the style. But when a few, when a film is this beautiful and so reliant on beautiful visuals, the, the tendency is to say, well, maybe there's more style than substance. But I think there's enough there. Right, fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, my my only criticisms of it personally would be um, that the the I think I kind of mentioned it earlier that. Like you said, they the the world governments kind of behave in a almost almost Hollywood way. It's like, well, of course they're all going to fall out. Yeah, but is um, that not like, realistic? I mean, it's, um, it's nuts. I, I think between the US and Russia and China, it's realistic. I don't think they would have done it to the bit where there's like they turn off to their allies. I think that's a bit unrealistic. I think those organizations work so closely together they, they keep their secrets between themselves i'm sure they do but they ended they always tend to share them ultimately with their allies especially the uk and the us um they're pretty interconnected uh, yeah I, I don't know i think i think there's i think there's plenty of realism i think you're right the, the allies thing maybe but there's a sort of domino effect it's like the stock markets isn't it as soon as somebody starts selling stock in one thing then it's yeah it deserts it i think the other major criticism i've got of this film is the Forrest Whitaker character is a really good example of that ridiculous straw man in film that's put in to make more conflict and difficulty. So Amy Adams' character is doing all the right things. She's making unbelievable progress, and yet he's not believing her, not um, not kind of encouraging her or giving the things that she needs when she's like solving yeah. it. 
and I think it's one of those things that can feel again quite cheap to put in um, there is a see I dis- I don't disagree that it's cheap but I disagree to the point of in fact those characters are usually like very two dimensional where this guy you can see his motivation like so in the scene where he when he asks for the vocabulary and he reads out the vocabulary he's like oh these are all grade school you know words and he just instead of you know deriding the stupidity what he sees on the surface why would you teach him you know rudimentary childish words we need to communicate more you know at a more complex level and it was but instead of him kind of going what is this and throwing it away he kind of just goes explain it to me you know make me see i think the problem is he's a really functional character from a storytelling point of view firstly when he first meets her, there's a whole lot of exposition that comes from him. He's explaining who he is, who she is, why she's got clearance, and that it's a bit clunky. And then that stuff... That, so this film, on a functional level, works because, like you like you referred to earlier, they've already made contact with the aliens, have the military. So mm. Amy Adams gets to be a newbie there that's walked through it, and so therefore we are walked through it in the same way that, I don't know, Neo doesn't understand the Matrix, so we're walked through the Matrix and there's 25 minutes of just info dump exposition, but done artfully. He's got that function. He's also got that function of explain this to me, so then he becomes the person to be initiated into things. But you're right, he is unbelievably dismissive to say these are grade school words, when it's just like, they're just drawing circles. It's unbelievable that she's understanding anything. When he plays with the tape... In a month. In a month. <laughs> when he plays with the tape in yeah. the first place and he's like... Did you get any phrases from that? It's like, what? You played me like a seven second clip once of some just blah, blah, blah. And, and it's not a human, it's not in human tongue. And, and, and so he becomes that. And um, one, one, again, one of my, um, I don't know if I mentioned Yeah, I suppose in that, in that situation, yeah, he was a bit curt, wasn't he? And he was a bit intrusive. It did also, that, that um, strange confrontation led to one of the more intriguing lines, which was a desire for more cows. Yeah, I, but that I thought the audio was actually quite bad in that scene because you can't really hear what what uh, Forrest Whitaker says um, over the helicopter. So that was, I'm you know I'm picking up little criticisms of maybe the functioning <laughs> film aspect of it. Um, I don't get why he just doesn't get both of them in. <laughs> I mean that's what they would do in yeah, real that's life. That's a fair point actually. But, why does it? Yeah. yeah, I mean I guess it's need to know basis and all that. But if it's a really important aspect and they can work together, yeah, absolutely. Right, so what was your favourite scene? I really liked the scene where um, she saw that the, the bird was fine in the cage, so she took off her suit to really mm-hmm. to really speak to them, and then Jeremy Renner did the same, and, and I quite liked that. Um, it felt like a monumental moment. And in fact, m- most of my favourite scenes were in those, were in the shells. Really beautiful, yeah. really beautiful effect of the uh, no-gravity thing of jumping and changing um orientation and then yeah uh, so for me it was the, the her trying to connect to them she's really the one understanding the the heptapods how about yourself um so i went with uh, the bit where she explains to Forrest Whitaker's character um she does the kangaroo story to convey <laughs> what she's saying um yeah i think that's a great it kind of sums up the way language and stories and narratives and collective memories can be misinterpreted and they can be used for and against kind of to make your point and, and, yeah, and as, she quite say, as she says it's, it's not true but it proves my point 
Yeah. That's why I like this film because Forrest Whitaker's character says, you know, I think I said earlier, he would just usually leave after, at that point, after he made his point when he says, you know, most of the Aborigines were, you know, they were nearly wiped out. And in most Hollywood films, they'd bugger off at that, that point. would be the, yeah, that would be the final line of that debate. Yeah. And it cut to the next scene where in this, it doesn't cut to the next scene. It goes and she explains that I was trying to make a point and I was using a common myth to do that. She doesn't say it's a common myth, but I've, you know, I've heard that story before that it was, uh, you know, it was the word for I don't understand, and this was what became popular. And then in the seventies, I think they basically found out that it was their, it was a bastardization of their word of the Aborigines that Cook met, mm. um, and that they were saying something along the lines of kangaroo, and then it became kangaroo when they met another group of Aborigines like a thousand miles away from the first group <laughs> um, they called it a kangaroo and the guys based the Aboriginals there said oh, I don't know that word because they weren't familiar with it because you know there was a thousand miles between <laughs> the two people groups and uh, so yeah and that's probably a well known story in Australia but it still shows how common myths can be used to make your point and to argue and in this case she uses it the right way you know she uses it to to show that actually we need to communicate better with these people rather than um, aliens rather than dismiss them and treat them as a hostile threat, which is essentially, like you said, the line everyone's trying to go down. What was your favourite line then of the film? Tom? I um, It might be the that line uh, where they say, nice story, and she says, thanks, it's not true, but it proves my point. I think that was the, yeah. Yeah, that was the main one that I've written down, actually, it, I thought I'd written another one down, but that's the that's the one that stood out for me, and I think for the reasons you've just given there. What was your favourite line? Yeah. So, I wrote down the line she pretty much says at the end of the film, when she hugs Jeremy Renner's character and goes, I forgot how good it felt to be held by you. Now, the film itself cuts, cuts away at that point, and you don't get his response. You just see her hugging him again for maybe a second or two um, while it's got, you know, the music being played over it. It's in the f- terms of the film, it shows the journey the character's on and the moment she's realised that this language can allow her to s- see into the future, if that makes sense. But Yeah, I think, I think that scene actually has to be the best scene. As much as I really like yeah. it, you know, that, that scene actually was what convinced me I really liked this film as opposed to yeah. having these doubts about is it more style or substance, that scene really has to be the most significant and therefore possibly the best and therefore contains some of the best lines. Yeah. Um, and that was... I I think maybe what... I really like this film, but maybe what, maybe what stops it from being a stone-cold classic is it doesn't have those standout lines that classics tend to have. Yeah. That I was kind of really searching for... Because this film gives you more of a... A mood and a feeling and a tone and a, an experience rather than just hear some great dialogue yeah and I think it's because it's not a whip, a whip smart type of snarky type thing like that at all I mean there is a beautiful line actually in that scene where she says if you could what is it if you could see your whole life from start to finish would you change things and he says maybe I'd say what I felt more often and I think it's it's a bit more um underplayed really rather than uh, those having those memorable lines that's that's there's a lot of depth to that i think yeah and i think that's what makes it great <laughs> i think that's what makes it a great film is it, it, it's almost more realistic because like well people are more like this than they are than what film and tv because we want larger than life characters we get these larger than life expressions where 
most normal people kind of not okay this is a no that's a general gross overstatement but people tend to stay within themselves and only say perfunctory things at times rather than actually expressing how they truly feel for fear of embarrassment or you know, fear of you know the fear kind of holds back what people say a lot of the time mm. so they don't always say what's on their mind or fear of offense and yeah at that moment you could say well she's actually saying how she feels even if it doesn't make sense to jeremy renner's character it was the most poignant line i think there is i mean i love all the i mean you say the exposition i love all the exposition in this film i love that bit with the whiteboard where she um, goes through the the structure of the sentence you know what is your purpose on earth and she's like saying well you know do they are they going to understand we need to establish they understand the nature of a question and if they understand the question do they um do they understand that it's they need to respond to the question then is their actions are they autonomous or is there motivation behind them and then um then obviously they need to understand their response and that's i think that's a i quite like that bit she just goes through that I'm always a bit of a geek for stuff like that. It is a smart film, and it, and you mentioned Inception earlier. It's hard not to, not to think about Inception or perhaps Interstellar or a bit of Chris Nolan when you watch this smart cinema, atmospheric stuff where they really do have to have a lot of exposition for you to, for you to follow along properly. I think. Um, yeah. So I think that's yeah. It it doesn't do it too clunkily. I think it's just that most of it came from the Forest Whitaker character. So that character stuck out as this functional way of getting the information, raising the stakes, making conflicts, you know. Do you not think in a real life situation there would be people like that? Because people have to liaise between different experts, so there always has to be a bridge between these kind of agencies in this situation because not everyone's a, you know a doctor of linguistics and doctors of linguistics aren't you know military analyst experts and intelligence gathering experts so they whilst on a fundamental level they can understand states wanting to protect themselves and judge if something is a threat and come up with an effective response they're not in the minutiae of say you know strategic planning and neither is a uh, an analyst in the minutiae of uh, language families and response to questions and you know phrases and orthography and things like that so there's a there's a there's a realism to to somebody needing to have things explained to them like that for sure i, I think it's just that i think that maybe it needed another draft because i i noticed it you know, I noticed that character as being this functional character, and it's yeah. it's a popular straw man in any of these films. I mean, something like Ghost Ghostbusters. They've oh, sorry, oh, Die Hard Two. Say they've got the guy who doesn't believe uh, John McCain, John McCain, John McClane that there are terrorists. <laughs> John McCain. And it's like it's a year, the, uh, it's, former Republican candidate for yeah, presidency. That's the one. He <laughs> you know he wore a, like a vest top in the eighties. Um, so there's you know this is a guy with a lot of reputation. He's taken down some terrorists the year before, and a guy doesn't believe him that there are terrorists in the airport, and it's just to create conflict in the film so that he has to work on his own again. It becomes. I mean, becomes I think apparent. these conflicts would arise naturally in this situation because there's so much uncertainty about it. I get your point, though. Yeah. Also, fun fact about John McCain: uh, couldn't lift his arms up beyond beyond uh, the heights of his shoulders because he was captured during the Vietnam War after be- crash landing as an Air Force pilot so I hear. and was held um, hostage for three or four years. He was a is a is a hero. But he was God, a Republican. Yeah, like we won't be too nice. To uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, so I've so I've written down a few things here that I think are important to this film. 
and I think it's the I think one of the themes is the ethical question. So I put is Louise a sociopath or selfish? Because if she can change the future, she chooses to have that child knowing it's going to die. Is that an ethical thing to do? Because is that not inherently a selfish thing to do? Or is it a brave thing to do knowing that you're going to fall, you know, for this, not fall, but you're going to have this child, you're going to love it deeply and to know that the despair of losing it's going to, uh, you know, could is going to ruin your marriage and your relationship to the father and, you know, leave you without anyone again. So I think that that dichotomy there is quite interesting. It is an intriguing question. Uh, Again, it comes down to could she actually have made a different decision? Because surely if you can see all of time, that's not, that's not the, the subjunctive, I think. That's not the possibility of what might happen. That is what's going to happen. I think really she has to she has to just come to, come to terms with it. And I think she even says, there is a line that she says, which I'm just looking through my notes to find now. Um, basically, I'm just waiting for it to load. Uh, she says that she embraces it. She knows that these things are going to happen and she has to embrace it. I don't think it's implied that she could change it. Despite knowing the journey and where it leads... I embrace it and I welcome every moment of it. Do, see, I don't I, think she has the option. See, I got a different implication. I think she did have the option. And I think she chose... That signifies that she chose to embrace it. Because she could have... I mean, she could have gone, no, I don't. She could have explained to Jeremy Renner's character and gone, look, now learning this language, I can see the future and I can see that we're going to have a daughter and she's going to die and I can't go through that. She chooses. I think she, I think personally she makes a choice. But if the if the future does exist then and now, then it, it can't be changed, can it? It's not a Why not? it's not a possible future. It's the future and it's happened. So then if it's a possible future... Right, we're going to get into semantics here, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's... Dis- I saw it as a presentation of choice rather than inevitability. But surely it's inevitable because it's happened. She's seeing it now and she's seen she's seen the present, so it has to happen. It's not it's so, not saying if you go down this road, this will happen. It's happened. Right. Well I read it as this is a possible future. I, I know what you mean, because in the moment I did think, oh wow, it seems like she's choosing to do that. But I think the line that she says in terms of embracing it is more just she accepts it. And I think really, you know, the idea that you wouldn't have a child because it's gonna die, well, that's always the that's always the deal. But, well, there's another point. Point. Well, she knows the child, so could she not have a termination when she gets pregnant? They're not gonna. She's gonna know exactly when she's gonna get pregnant because she can think of it in the future. I think it takes out the aspect of free will. I don't understand. I don't understand what you mean by that. Exactly. <laughs> so that, that's the point. Is if you know the future, it's like you said. The causality of it is you can change it because you've got free will to change things. She knows she's gonna get pregnant. Pregnancy isn't something. It's not like so. It's not like it's not it's not like she caught you know she got she caught pregnancy. She goes, oh fuck, I've got I've got pregnancy. Oh <laughs> that's no, the point, isn't well it? I can't have an abortion now. That's the, that's you know the point I mean? of free will in a deterministic universe, which I think we do live in. You can't stop it. But again, I think I think this is what this is this is what makes a this is what makes a good film is that that there is more to talk about in it and there is more to discuss. um, Right, hang on. I just want to get... So do you think we live in a universe where your choices are laid out before you have no option and you've already chosen what you're going to do even before you've done it? I'm a hard determinist, yeah. I don't believe in free will. So so by that logic, so you're saying if you knew Friday's lottery numbers, you would put the lottery on and win the lottery? 
or would you choose not to play the lottery just because you knew the numbers? The point is that I was always, I know the numbers. whatever I was going to do, I was always going to do that. Even if it feels like I'm going to put them on and then at the last minute I change my mind, that's what I was always going to do. But that only becomes, but that's like observational situation, isn't it? That's kind of like, is the cat dead or alive at the point of observation? So you can only know what you were going to do at the point it happened. It wasn't always determined that you were going to do that yeah. because you made a choice which is which mean? is always you the problem of, that's always the problem of sci-fi and seeing the future because then it's no longer going to be the future if you see it and therefore change it you know it's like um avengers endgame uh you know dr strange saying well if i tell you it won't be the future it won't be that one outcome uh, to tony stark yeah so and i think that's always going to be the logical paradox of time travel in cinema because we because we can't fathom it and i don't and i don't think and I think the future and past probably exist all at the same time, and we probably only see it in a linear way for reasons that I can't, that I don't yeah. know, and, and can't fathom. But I do, I do. See, that's. But I do think that kind the idea of fascinating, of, though, that you. Sorry, go on. From just from a psychological, just physical, materialistic point of view, free will doesn't make any sense because it would suggest that there is something without a cause, and that goes against yeah. everything. Yeah. I know, I mean, it's one of those, isn't it? it? It's hard to say to an individual, you don't have free will. Um, because that would, because obviously, like you said, causality and all that. But at the same time, I, I don't know if I'm entirely on board with it. Well, I mean, don't get me like wrong. It, I, 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 that's what I think. But if somebody compliments me, I say thank you. And I take credit for it, <laughs> you know, and I take blame for things then, I do wrong. I don't, th- I don't think yeah, but then it makes any sense. If causality, so if, I mean, I could be entirely wrong in this, you know, somebody more learned in these things would be like, oh my God, what are they talking about? They're such <laughs> idiots. But if you could, if determinism was available and you had no free will at all, and I'm not arguing this from like a religious perspective, if, so I, I just think, okay, so every decision you've ever made therefore was to determine the moment you were born and the moment you existed because of factors before your existence and then factors during your infancy. Yes. And then, so therefore, wouldn't we be able to write a program that would be able to predict that? Theoretically, theoretically, yes, except for the, except for the notion of chaos and uncertainty. In order to write, in order to write that program, you'd have to know about the whereabouts and velocities and directions of every particle in the universe and we can't know that yeah. but that but that's but theoretically we could well I, we could well I, I don't know enough. all I know is that I think it's the uncertainty principle whereby we can't know uh, I don't know the, what kind of particle but we can't know a particle's location and speed yeah. so until we observe it and then it becomes fixed and all that jazz yeah although I think so it's well this is well beyond what I know but I think um Particles can be in one part of the universe and then in another part of the universe. Yeah, entanglement. That sort of stuff. So I think if the universe was simpler and sort of particles and all that was simpler and there were fewer variables, yes, I think theoretically you could you could right, predict so what then, I'm going to do next Thursday at 9pm uh, and 30 yeah. seconds, yeah. Right, well, there you go. So we do live in a universe that has free will because we can never determine all those things. So if someone gives you, a, if you are able to then interpret the future, you are able to make a decision about that, even if physics says that you were going to make that decision all along. It doesn't mean we live in a. a we, it doesn't mean we live in a universe with free will. 
It, no, no, we, it does mean we live in a universe with free will, but it means we are able to make free choices as a species. No, it doesn't. It, it means, means that able. we can't. It does, because we've been given something that... Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you there, but <laughs> it, and by saying it does doesn't back up my argument. What it means is we make practical decisions. Well, we're on, it's on a practical level. So, yes, those things were decided for us by, like you said, the chaos of randomness and physics but when you are presented with options you then have to make a decision based on your own freedom of thought so here so here's a really mundane example you go to a shop they're selling pepsi or cola you've got or coke you've got a choice between those two and you choose pepsi i think you choose yeah i think you drink pepsi more than coke don't you um yeah at the moment so that decision feels like well i had a choice and i chose pepsi but actually the point of that is, there's a great quote by Arthur Schopenhauer, and he says, man can do what he wills, but he cannot will what he wills. It wasn't your decision to prefer Pepsi. But you did prefer Pepsi and you chose it. That's an illusion. The 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 fact that you preferred Pepsi wasn't your choice. That's the illusionary part of it. Well, see, this is an interesting fact, because I did decide a few years ago that I preferred Pepsi over Coke. I was drinking both and went, oh, do you know what? I prefer the taste of Pepsi. So what a determinist would say is that that happened. You observed that you now preferred Pepsi, but you didn't decide to prefer Pepsi. You just now pref- you just now preferred Pepsi. Because you can't decide oh, okay. to prefer Coke. Well, yeah, yeah, I see that. However, that... It, I mean, obviously, if it is a theory, doesn't it rely on the fact that their, that their theory is correct. <laughs> the burden of proof here is on By believing point, yeah. in free will, because free will goes against the paradigm that we have of a of deterministic universe. Because in order to have a free choice, uh, you in exactly the same scenario again choosing something else would suggest I think we have that practical free will. Though I think that that's a very a that's a very different thing. Though that's a very different thing. Yeah, but it yeah it is, and that's what I mean by the point of saying that she knew that. To bring it back to the film, that she knew. Oh, we were talking about film. She... <laughs> Sorry, I thought this <laughs> well, was this the uh, point. my psychology Practi- podcast. I, think, I practically think she has the option to not have that child. It, she it certainly it. seems so. Yeah. So I that's think in like presentation, I that's what I mean. So in these in a sci-fi film where there is time travel and somebody sees the future, the paradox is that that's no longer a deterministic universe because um, because although except in this film again, she she did those things in the future even though in that future her past self knew that was going to happen so when she's speaking to the the general shang she already made that phone call but it's only from that conversation with him that she knew the information to make that phone call in the past suggesting that it is it is circular and it can't be broken so her future self bringing up her daughter that future version of herself actually knows that's already going to happen because we know that because that's why Jeremy Renner leaves her in the future so we know that she knows that in the future so her present self is always going to turn into a future self because her future self was her past self as she is now and it, it couldn't be simpler <laughs> <laughs> the point being that she's no different. I'll be honest I didn't quite understand all of that yeah the, um, the point being that it's not like she's making a decision differently to her future self because her future self was who she is right now and made that decision so it does 
I get your point, and I got like I say, I got that same um, that same ambiguity. Is she choosing to do this now, or is she just embracing the fact that it is inevitable? Uh, so run that by last time. Run that by me again. One more time, <laughs> just because this is important to this film. It because is. It is. It is. It is. The crux of it is: it does she have the free will to choose the future? Yeah. Or does she embrace its inevitability? So the initial because I just the way it was presented to me was she chooses it. She makes inevitable. Even though it feels inevitable to her, she, I thought she was on about the inevitability of the daughter dying, and there was nothing because it was an illness. There was nothing she could do about that, and that she would go through the joy of being a parent. And suffer the pain of it, despite all the bad things that happen to her and her relationship, and what's going to happen to her daughter. There is an interesting complication there because if you knew, even if you knew when that conception happened, you couldn't actually manufacture that to have that same daughter, could you? It has to be inevitable. Well, I a question I've written down as well is. Would Louis would Louise not teach Heptapod to Hannah, and Hannah would then know her own future and be very angry at her mother at a very young age when she starts having the she starts seeing in the time well or the fourth dimension? And also, wouldn't um, Ian learn it as well? And maybe that's why he leaves because he's you know I just assume you know no sorry there's a scene isn't she where she's like oh well I told your dad something and he was upset with them essentially upset with what was going to happen and it's like well if Ian if this thing was such you know they talk about it being a tool don't they or if it's a weapon and you know we realize that the language is a tool uh, to help humanity and so they can help themselves but in terms of the narrative but also wouldn't would people not learn this language in this would Jeremy Renner's character be like oh I should really learn this language because I mean she, can she writes a book on it and publishes a book doesn't she yeah um, yeah so it feels like something that would change the, the society completely forever yeah, um, yeah. so the, there's an interesting sequel here I think that they shouldn't make but that we could definitely no. <laughs> we could definitely fantasize no. about so yeah. So the initial reading is she knows the future, but she's going to do it anyway. She's choosing to do that. And that was definitely my yeah. initial reading of it, that she's embracing it and going, you know what, I'll still have this child. Presumably because she still wants that child, she loves that child, and she wants to go through that again. I think on reflection, really, it's that that is inevitable because the future her who has that child yeah, wasn't that future her is what she is now in the future. That future her made that decision as yeah, well. in the present. With all that knowledge. It's not like um, Terminator 2 or Terminator 1, where the future person, the future comes back to you in the past and you can change it. But the future does come back to her in the past because that's what happens when she calls general Jean on the phone. She starts remembering something that happened in the future. But it had to happen for that to happen. Whereas something like Terminator 2, let's say, um, the, the, the future's happened, so they go back to the past to try to change the future. Yeah. But uh, in this case, the future and present have both happened and are always going to happen. There isn't a, br- oh, you're there saying isn't a so branching they, system. Right, okay. So that because everything, because you're just remembering the future that is already set, therefore it has to have happened and it's inevitable that the daughter's going to die. Exactly. I mean, if you read it like that, it makes Louise look like a much nicer person. <laughs> <laughs> Which is how I prefer to, to read it, yeah. And then it leads on to my next question is, so then what's wrong with the character at the beginning of the film? Because it 
obviously they do the uh, the Kuroshov effect to make you empathise with the character and think that she's just been through bereavement yeah. of her daughter. But actually, you're just meeting a quite a morose <laughs> woman. And I think that's fine, <laughs> isn't it? Clearly not very happy. That's the beauty of it. It's not like she says things to anybody in those scenes like, oh, I'm really sad about the death of my daughter. She's just somebody who's going to yeah. work <laughs> and isn't very excited yeah. about it. It's so well yeah, done. They... It's so well done on rewatching. Still, though, I think there's a there's an element to her character that's she looks like she is unhappy at the begin at, during the whole of the film. Well, listen, if there was a Even camera, if there was a camera following me at six thirty this morning on my way to work, I would have <laughs> looked exactly the same. <laughs> and if you'd have cut it from me receiving tragic news, you'd have gone, "Oh wow, he's he's really feeling a deep depth." Of pain, and actually, it was just six thirty, <laughs> and I had to cycle to work in the rain. You know, and it, and it. Um, no, I think I thought it was well done. It's so Fair effective enough. as a as an illusion that you try that yeah. we transpose meaning onto it. Okay, Sam. So we've talked a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's this is it. This is why this this is why I think this is a great film. Yeah, I agree. Um, this is why I've recommended it because I knew it was going to cause conversation. Right, Sam. So, how many? Uh, Legs out of seven. Would you give it? <laughs> um, in the course of our conversation, my rating's gone up for it. Good. Which I think is uh, is always a good sign. Out of seven legs, I'll give it six. Oh, that's a high rate. Yeah, it was originally going to be more in the sort of five realm, but actually, yeah, it's it's almost like I've watched it again in my head while I've been talking, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I did worry it was style over substance until that last scene, that last reveal, and it gloriously all tied in. So yeah, six out of seven. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? How it that's it it plays on that thing of language is yeah you know, is cognition determined by language, and the the next state of that could be oh well, actually maybe you could think through time and see the future. And, yeah, and I yeah, think so I, I think this it. film will stay with me for a while. Yeah. Which isn't true of all films. So something like Hunt for the Wilder People really, really enjoyed it, but I haven't really thought about it in the two or three weeks since we did that film. But this film, I, f- yeah. I feel like I will think about it more. Yeah, yeah, because it does ask a lot of good questions, doesn't it? Right after the break, we're going to do the quiz. Welcome back, and it's now time for the quiz. So I've got uh, five questions as usual for Sam, because uh, <laughs> I give forty percent less apparently. Uh, <laughs> Ladies, <laughs> tell your friends. Um, so question one, and you may have noticed I in- intentionally didn't give you this answer earlier to see how you did. In the I just don't know what the question is going to be. I've got no idea. What state in the USA do they land in? Oh blimey! Um, uh, right. I, th- I intentionally early when you were like, "Oh, where do they land?" I was like, "America." Because <laughs> <laughs> normally it? I would say the, it, the actual um, place. Is it Montana? It is. Well yes. done. I'm disappointed actually because I wanted to give you my clue of uh, it's what Miley Cyrus made. <laughs> Maybe that's it's, why she's called. And in fact, it t- ties in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Ties in. Because <laughs> she says the palindrome. Really, it's Miley Cyrus. Yeah. Ego. Nice work. Hannah Montana. 
Maybe this is what this whole film was inspired by uh, Hannah Montana. Maybe that was the theme <laughs> somehow. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, that's the real answer, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Do you know who told me the, what the word, the meaning of the word palindrome was, listeners? It was Sam. Was it? When, we were about, when I was about 14 years old, yeah. Noise. Noise, noise, noise. Yeah. I always associate you with that word for some reason. <laughs> um, question two. What is General Zhang's nickname? Oh. Um... Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's us never getting in the Chinese market. That Damn it. Uh, what is his nickname? I feel like it's right there. Can you give me a, a clue? Um, it's a sport traditionally played in pubs as part of the name. Right. You can get the fair. So it's pool or darts or snooker or... Um... What's the other one on that list? That... Um... You don't really get seen playing in pubs anymore, but people do do it. I mean, there's some pubs you can walk up to and go and ask if they've got them behind the bar. Oh, uh, Skittles. Um, yes, yeah, his name's Skittles. <laughs> I think I've got them behind the bar. A dice. Um, I don't know. It's Marshall. something the character. It's something that the character. They make a decision. Other countries will follow. Oh, dominoes. Uh, nearly. Uh, he's the Mr. Domino man. More or less. He's Big Domino. Big Domino, man. right. <laughs> yeah, that's the name they give him. I should say that when I watched this film, I treat myself to a midweek glass of wine that turned into a bottle. So, specific facts el- elude me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to give you I'll give you half a point. Thank you. Because, you, know, you know, you more or less. You're very kind. Uh, who were Abbott and Costello? Question three. They're heptapods. No, they were a comedy duo from the 1940s and 50s <laughs> okay, so. in America. Who, famous who was on first base? Um, yeah, famous for who's on first, yeah. yeah. So I'm lucky there, mate. That's, that's right, who's on first, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I thought you might have seen through that trick question there, but <laughs> there you go, as is life. Um, what was the name of the book that this uh, film is based on? Oh, I know this. Um, was it Songs of Your Life or something? Almost. What is it? No, I've written it down, but I won't, I won't use my notes. Is it Songs of Your Songs of the Fire? I know it's Story of You. Story of You. Story of You. Not the story. No def- definite arc. No, no, none Jungle. of those here. The Arrival. Yeah, which is really funny when I was reading the review. Oh, we haven't done the critics. We haven't oh, done we'll critics. Do uh, yeah. It's it's fine. Like uh, like Arrival, we're going to play with the uh, concept of our own podcast. <laughs> we're non-linear uh, in that sense. Structure. Welcome to Please yes, Watch so- This, where two film-loving men <laughs> will just in- interpose little uh, intros. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Um, question five. Wow. Here we go. Because you're always complaining that you know you give forty percent more. Uh, name seven of the eleven countries that the ship lands in. That the that's that's in. a good one. That is a good one. So, the US, yep, um, China, Russia, yep. UK, yep. yep, that's four so far. France, no. Oh, Canada, nope. No, Australia. Nope. See the the mistake. The problem I've done is I watched that video for the very first time. It was a meme about ten years ago, which was "This is the Earth." Have you seen that one? Yeah. And no, he's talking about no, where no. all the nuclear. I think India. 
Um, I'll give you this one, Indian Ocean. So the Indians go out there. Okay. They're, pro- they're the major power in that um, region. Egypt. Near oh, Egypt. Oh, no, Saudi. The Saudis. Saudi Arabia? Not that near. Israel? Oh, nearer than that, sorry. Sorry, nearer than Saudi Arabia. Nearer than Saudi so Arabia. To Egypt, yeah. Right. Uh, Palestine? Famously south of Egypt. Oh, what? Um, Sudan? Please. Yep. Sudan, right, okay. Good. Yep, so one, two, three, four, five. So oh, you need two more. Um, Japan? Yes. Very good. Oh, is he going to do it, listeners? Of course he is. And, of course, uh, Brazil? No. Oh, <laughs> is there a South American country? There is. Chile? Um, no, I'm not going to let you just name South American countries. <laughs> There's only 12. Argentina, Paraguay, exactly. Colombia. <laughs> no. Right, one more guess. Uruguay. No. Bollocks. Unlucky. You're so close. Mexico. No, it's Central America. Just, Colombia. Yeah. Ecuador. Stop naming countries. Ecuador. Suriname. <laughs> <laughs> Bolivia. Yes, no. I'm Venezuela. <laughs> it was Venezuela. <laughs> Get it. <laughs> yeah, by the process of elimination, <laughs> of all you the got it right the eventually. <laughs> what um, what did I miss? What are the other countries? Uh, so Greenland and Pakistan, right? The other two, good stuff. And Sierra Leone. Uh, oh yeah, of course it was. I when I went to do the list because I was like, I'll see how many I can remember. Yeah. Myself, I only managed USA, UK, Russia, Sudan, China. I did, I did better. <laughs> the I did better than you then. I'll oh, take that. And Greenland, I do Greenland as well, sorry. <laughs> yeah, because on the film, it's Denmark, because Greenland, obviously, oh, is controlled by Denmark. Interesting. So that, that picked that up in my reading. Um, so, yeah, we're going to move on to the critics now. Uh, we're going to discuss, uh, essentially, what they thought of this film. Yeah, what did the critics think? This week, I did look at Mark Kermode's review, actually, just before we recorded, because I just wanted so to, what... to branch out. So tell us, tell us about the critics. So what I've done is I took... Kermode's review in The Guardian that he wrote. Right. Um, just because they're a little more um, succinct than when somebody's giving their review. More soundbiting, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, with startling economy, Villeneuve conjures a snapshot portrait of motherhood cut short by a daughter's death, love and despair, described with um, surgical precision. Four stars at five. That's good. So yeah, he did like it a lot. Mm. Um, the next review is also in the Guardian from uh, Peter Bradshaw. Uh, Guardian. I like Peter Bradshaw. For the most yeah, part. he was the one who gave two stars to Joker. Actually, yeah, the, I don't the always like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Denny Villeneuve sci-fi contact drama is uh, dreamy, freaky, audacious. It skirts the edge of absurdity as anything like this must but manages to keep clear and it includes a big flourish in the manner of early film by M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, Peter Guardian. Yeah, Peter Guardian the, in the Bradshaw. Yeah, yeah, he's related to uh, to the uh, John McCain. <laughs> yeah, good. Aren't we, all in, in, aren't we all John McCain? God rest him. Um, yeah, God rest him. Yeah. <laughs> big, big JMC. Big job. So I'm, I'm glad I watched this film. I've been so intrigued by it for a while, and I did. Um, after watching it, I watched the the Nerd Writer episode on it, which I'd really recommend. It's called the um, what's it called Response to Bad Movies. So it's kind of yeah, almost an antidote to that, and it talks about the beauty of it, and, it, and that's where I got the uh, the idea of the uh, 
cool shove uh, effect. Yeah, I watched, I watched that myself. Yeah, that's where I got it from. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's excellent. Yeah. If you, a listener, if you haven't watched Nerdwriter, he, he makes some very uh, some very um, thoughtful videos. So there was some negative. There was some negative reviews on it, but um, the majority of them came from internet. Not inter- like what I call internet critics or right. um, critics who, you know, or amateur critics, people who just didn't user like reviews just because. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, user reviews. Um, people like to be contrarian, uh, I think. Yeah, and I can see why some people might not like this film. You know, um, who wouldn't you recommend this? Oh, actually, so Sam, would you recommend this film? I would recommend this film to preempt your next question. I wouldn't recommend it to my um, nan. Okay. Uh, I mean, nothing wrong with my nan, but I think you should get bored of it. There's, yeah. I, I know a couple of people who don't watch films because they can't sit through them, and um, I immediately remove them from my from my address book in my phone. Um, so they wouldn't like it because it did after about three glasses of wine. I did start drifting off in the sort of longer sequences. Um, yeah. And I had to sort of snap, slap myself awake. So, yeah, it's not for everybody. It's very arty. And I can see how people would call it pretentious and too much style, not enough substance. But I think, I think really, like a good book, you have to give time to things. Well, so that was Arrival. That was Arrival. Um, I went and watched it. I appreciate it. Yeah. I think um, now that you liked that... I think we will move on to Blade Runner 2049 at some point because uh, that was the reason I watched Blade Runner 2049 because I saw this and I was like, that film's in good hands because of this director. Right. Uh, even if it's not the best film in the world, it's still going to be a decent film to watch. It's going to capture those change. visuals and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that yeah. another time. But what are we going to watch next week, Hugh? Don't know, Sam. It's your week to it is. recommend a film. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're going to watch the 1957 <laughs> classic 12 Angry Men. Hugh, what do you know about 12 Angry Men? Uh, there's 12 men and they're angry. <laughs> no, is it more um, than that? <laughs> yeah, so this is one of those that I know a lot about it, but not necessarily in the order that it comes in, if that makes sense. So I know it's a, it's basically a courtroom drama set in the deliberating room of a jury deciding if somebody's guilty of committing a crime and I think essentially one of them talks the rest of them out of convicting this man and whether you know he basically convinces them all that he's innocent and that's the dramas around if you're if you believe you're right and everyone else is wrong can you convince them that you're right and that justice is always best served by even if there's one lone voice speaking up against the majority, so I think it's it's very it's very much a parable about things. Like that. So I'm quite I'm quite aware of where it goes, but I'm looking forward to actually just sitting and watching the film itself and uh, finding out how it comes to its denouement. Interesting, yeah, it's one of those. It's uh, it's very much in the cultural consciousness. I believe it's still in the top ten on IMDb. It is a, a Stone Cold classic, so it's a film I watch multiple times every year. I uh, show it to my students, um, so I... What do you show them to? Why do you show them this, then? Just out of interest. We do a topic called Social Influence, so as you talked about, it's uh, about influence bit, and uh, how, how it happens. It's like Myers-Briggs and all that jazz. That's more personality tests, really. Yeah, um, but yeah, so I show it, I tend to show it to every class, so I tend to watch it at least three times in a week. 
uh, once a year. <laughs> this year I've got five so is classes. It that week? Yeah. So you're watching it this no, week? No, I'll, I'll be watching it um, in about February time, but uh, that's fine. Fair enough. I'll just so I'll recommend be... the pod to them so they I get another hundred listeners. <laughs> Sweet. Make sure make this make the episode compulsory listening. Yes, um, absolutely. I will. They can. You know, they're only doing their eight levels, got plenty of time. They've got to subscribe <laughs> and review and leave a five-star yeah. review and all that, so that's, that's exactly. fun. So, Hugh, if, if our listeners want to leave a five-star review, if they want to get in touch with us through any means, how can they do it? So, they can build their own alien spaceship, travel <laughs> to another world, uh, come up with a language that is symmetrical in shape um, <laughs> and travels through time, and then write that message to the podcast. Then, when... I've learned that language. I can then answer their emails. Or failing that, they can contact us at pleasewatchthis.pod at gmail.com. Where can they find us on the internet? Oh, so. uh, on the internet, we are on Twitter at pleasewatchpod. We're on Facebook. It's called Please Watch This. Are we also on the normal Twitter, not just the Norfolk Twitter? Uh, Twitter, my lover. Uh, no, we are just on all the Twitters. Um, we are now on many different providers. You may be listening to us on Spotify, finally. Um, if you are listening to this Titan. and you would like us to be on another platform that you don't know, that we're not already on, do let us know because we'd like to make it as accessible to you as possible. Not ACAS, though. They want money, and uh, that's not in our wheelhouse right now. This is, uh, we don't pay for it we this pod. We're cheap and cheerful. Um, we, we wouldn't even be able to afford to write our own language, and that's true. So there you go. Absolutely. Well, uh, apologies for an extra long episode and about 40 minutes of um, existential uh, philosophical chat, but that's that's what our <laughs> I might, listeners I might edit to. some of that out. We'll, we'll see. But cause, don't, because uh, I sounded so smart. It was the first time I've started, sounded articulate in 13 weeks. It's like you educate people for a living, isn't it? On, the, on those specific topics, yeah. <laughs> it's as if... So yeah, apologies for the long episode, but we love you and thank you for making it this far. <laughs> yeah, thank you for, well done for being alive. We just peaked, we just <laughs> peaked. We just got to the peak of our powers, right at the end there. Thanks yep. guys. Yep, get you glad you listened. <laughs> Tune in next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.